Um, we got coming up uh, next week, we're getting closer. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that um, a week from this weekend is a holiday weekend, Memorial Weekend that starts the summer, unofficially the summer season, and it's already upon us. So we got Vacation Bible School coming up June 1st and 2nd in a few weeks. And uh, Heather has some letters for you who are involved in Vacation Bible School. If you didn't pick it up on Sunday, uh, they are out there at the desk where you sign in the kids, right, Heather? And so Heather is here if you got any questions on that. So uh, we're really looking forward to that. Will you be praying for Vacation Bible School? Um, it's a little bit different than, uh, a lot different actually, than what we've done in the past. It's, uh, we're going to be advertising it on Grace FM as kind of a children's festival that is an outreach for our community to be able to do it in the park. And we're really excited to see what the Lord is going to do and excited about um, the kids that are going to come. So be in prayer about that as we get closer to uh, when we uh, are able to, um, you know, reach out to the community in that event on April, uh, June 1st and 2nd. Uh, Pheasant Run Park, it would be Monday, and then um, Island Grove Park on Tuesday. So we'll have all the information. We're going to start pre-registration this Sunday for Vacation Bible School. And so, again, uh, coming up on us very quickly. Be praying for the kids as well, um, because the kids, a lot of them are finishing school. And a lot of the youth kids right now, like this week, they have concerts and, you know, drama that they're doing and finishing up assignments, and they'll be finishing. We got some um, high schoolers who are going to be graduating, so we want to pray for them, and we're going to do that next week, and we just want to lift them up to the Lord. So lots and lots going on as we head into the summer months that are taking place here. Also, um, I don't mean to be long with announcements, but... This week is designated police week, and tomorrow is um, going to be a ceremony I'm going to be officiating. I think I've been doing it for 12 years now. It's Peace Officer Memorial Day is on May 15th, which is actually on Friday. But tomorrow night at Bittersweet Park at the Weld County Fallen Officers Memorial, I'll be officiating um, that ceremony as we remember uh, the fallen peace officers for the following year, that is 2014. I believe uh, last year there was 127 peace officers throughout the nation that lost their lives in the line of duty. Uh, every 58 hours, there is a peace officer in our nation that loses their life in the line of duty. There are some 16,000 that were injured or assaulted uh, in the line of duty as well. So uh, every year we have uh, that remembrance there at the fallen um, uh, Peace Officer Memorial uh, there at Bittersweet Park. So 6.30 tomorrow, you're welcome, and we welcome the public to come to that and give our support. We need to be praying for our first responders. We need to support them and uh, lift them up. And as we know that the scripture says in Romans chapter 13, as well as we saw in First Peter chapter 2 going into chapter 3, that uh, we're to be subject to the governing authorities. They are called ministers of God for our good. Their work is ordained by God, and so we want to lift them up and pray for them as much as we can. So let's do that tonight because they do good, do good work, and they're the ones that make our community safe, and, and they're the ones that hold the line between you know evil taking over. And um, so we want to support them and pray for them as much as we can. And then next week going into Memorial Weekend, we want to pray for those who are serving our nation and, um, and um, you know, protecting our interests and remember them and their families as well. So, Father, we just do lift up our first responders, and every day they put their lives on the line as they go out and as they uh, serve our community. And, Lord, we know your word declares that the work that they do is ordained by you. It's a good work. And, Lord, it is uh, to be a work that um, we are to be appreciative of. And um, we thank you for those, their training, uh, how they respond when we need them, respond in such difficult circumstances. And, um, Lord, in uh, protecting us and protecting our community. So, Lord, uh, as we remember those who have fallen, th their fathers and their husbands and they're ones that um, have family members and friends and um, comrades that, um, in arms that uh, miss them and are hurting. And we pray for your comfort for them. 
And Lord, we just pray that um, those here in, in Weld County, whether it's the uh, Greeley Police Department or Weld County Sheriff's Office or the other uh, municipalities, um, that Lord, we want uh, to lift them up in prayer. And we pray that you would protect them and keep them under the shadow of your wings. We pray that, um, that you give them wisdom and strength to do what it is that they're called to do, that they would do it as servants of God, uh, ministers of God, and they would do it with integrity and, and Lord, uh, with courage and with wisdom. So, Lord, we just lift them up to you. And I do pray for tonight. Um, there's so many things going on with our young people. They're finishing school. Uh, some of them are going to be graduating high school. And we just pray for our kids that they finish strong the school year. And uh, with finals coming up or, you know, final projects that are due, that they get them done. And, um, Lord, that uh, those who are going to be graduating, as we'll be remembering them, that um, they would get all their work done and just um, be with them in this very special time. And, Lord, also, as we get ready for Vacation Bible School in a few weeks, we want to start praying now. We're so excited that we have opportunity to minister to the children of this community. And, and Lord, that I thank you for all the plans that are being made and all the servants that are desiring to go and minister to the kids. And I pray that you would just continue to just help us be prepared. We want to do our best, and then we're going to commit the rest to you, Lord. That you bring those kids that you want to bring to be edified and encouraged in your word, but also to hear the gospel message. And, Lord, we want to be a light in our community. As we are faithful in just teaching the word of God, as we're faithful in giving the gospel, uh, as uh, we have opportunity in so many different ways, um, even that there are those who may be listening in on um, the Internet, listening in on live stream. Uh, Lord, as this message goes out across the radio on Grace FM, um, Lord, we pray that it would touch the hearts of many people. And, Lord, that there would be spiritual revival that would take place. And we know that you can use us as we humble ourselves before you, that as we just look to you and knowing that you want to save in the day in which we are living in. Tonight, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and edified in your word and blessed as we go through these psalms. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. In Psalm 27, one of the things that we have seen uh, with David in most of the psalms that we have gone through have been penned by David. And David went through a very difficult time. He went through stressful times and in a lot of uh, difficult uh, situations that he faced that you read about in First and Second Samuel. But in First Samuel, it deals a lot when David was running from Saul. Of course, Saul became jealous of David and hated him and wanted to kill him. And Saul, who was the king, was rejected by God. David was anointed a king, but David would go through tremendous, uh, you know, difficulty and trials as Saul would pursue David for years. Do you realize that David was running from Saul for about a period of 12 years? That's a long time. That David, in the height of his, you know, uh, life, uh, he, he is um, taken away from his family. Uh, he is hiding in the wilderness. Here is Saul, the king of Israel, and those men that surrounded and were with Saul that pursued David. And it was something that uh, would be very, very uh, hard for David to go through and endure. But during that time, God was working for good because God was working in David that would prepare him to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. And in that time, we see that many of these psalms were written, as we're going to see in Psalm 27, it was written during that time that he was running from Saul. And as I think about this and ponder this, uh, going through the psalms, I want to be one that in the difficult times that I go through in circumstances, that I want to be more like David to where I'm learning to cry out to the Lord and look to him and praise him during those times. And we are benefited because 3,000 years ago, David, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes these psalms down, and he talks about his confidence in the Lord, and he declares his faith in the goodness of God. And that encourages me, and I pray it encourages you. If tonight you're going through perhaps a difficult season in your own life, 
knowing that the Lord is with us and he loves us and we'll see his faithfulness. So let's get into Psalm 27, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise up against me. In this, I will be confident. So God is light. He, he's the light of my salvation, and he's my strength. And David, again, expressing his faith and confidence in the Lord. And he is the Lord, our strength in those difficult times that we go through. And this is the first time in scripture that light is used as a metaphor for God. And we know that in the New Testament, that John, in his gospel, he writes about how, you know, Jesus declares that he's the light of the world and that the light came to the darkness. And, and, um, and so John declares that in the gospel, Jesus being the light of the world. And then in his epistle in 1 John, that he writes that God is light, not that God is a light bulb, but God is light. And even tonight in our worship, as Travis was saying, you know, think about and pray about how he brought us out of that darkness. And that's what Peter declared in his epistle, as you recall in 1 Peter chapter 2, that he has brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light, that we may be able to give those uh, sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, offering those sacrifices, sacrifices of praise and our giving to him and, and giving the gospel and, and the sacrifices as we are a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So many of us, before we got saved, we knew what it was like to be in darkness. And praise God tonight that we can, you know, just rejoice and sing to the Lord because he has brought us out of that darkness into his light. So David knew that God that he's the light of my salvation. It was Isaiah that writes in chapter 41, verse 10, the Lord says, I will strengthen you, and yes, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, and I will not fear. So David expresses that even though an army, uh, you know, rises up against me, I'm not going to fear because when we face darkness or an army, God is light, and when we are weak, he's our strength. And he's our salvation. He rescues us. So we have victory in the Lord. And David says something that I will be confident of this, that he is the one that is going to work on my behalf. But then he says something very amazing in verse 4, that one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In verse 5, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Now, in chapters 25, 26, and 27, these three chapters deal a lot with David mentioning the tabernacle. The tabernacle is very important to David. And in chapter 25, it was written during a time that um, we know that, that David was looking for deliverance and for uh, forgiveness. And he speaks about going to the tabernacle of the Lord. And then he would also, in the Psalms, write about the rejoicing in the Lord as he would bring, as he probably wrote that during the time when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant there in 2 Samuel chapter 6 from Kirjath Jerim to Jerusalem. And David really valued God's tabernacle. He knew that the tabernacle was that place where you had fellowship with the Lord. Remember that it was the Lord that told Moses when he gave him the instructions to build the tabernacle, that Moses build this tabernacle. I'm going to show you the pattern that I may meet with my people. And so David, it's amazing here in this psalm as he continues to talk about the tabernacle of the Lord. And he says, well, one thing that I've desired that I may seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold your beauty. One of the things that we have seen so clearly, what was a priority for David is his fellowship with the Lord, his closeness to the Lord. I want to hide in your tabernacle. I want to, to be in a secret place of your tabernacle. I want to hide in your pavilion, Lord. I want to be where you are. 
because the tabernacles were the tangible presence of God was. So the tabernacle was a, a place of priority for David, and that's why he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of David, and he had that tabernacle of meeting where the Ark was because he wanted to set up a central place of worship, and he made plans for the temple that would be built by his son Solomon. And when he planned for it in First Chronicles, you read about how he set up the musicians and the, the Levites and, and the singers, and, and there was to be worship at the temple that was to be set up that God was worshiped 24-7 all the time, glorifying God. And that was very important to David and his fellowship with him. Let me ask you this. All of us should ask ourselves this in the honesty of our hearts. If the Lord was to ask you, what's one thing that you desire? One thing. What would it be? Would it be riches? Would it be popularity, prestige? What would it be? I think, David, you know, what was one thing that I desired? That you would kill Saul and make me the king today, Lord. Or I'd be the most powerful king on, you know, uh, in the face of the earth. And that I have all the riches of the world. He says, one thing that I desired this one thing that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That I will seek that all the days of my life. And to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in this temple that you would hide me in your pavilion in the secret place of your tabernacle. And I think it's worth considering this. That's why, you know, David was called a man after God's own heart because his desire and priority was to have that closeness and the fellowship with the Lord. What's the one thing that we truly desire that we can say, Lord, I want to be more like this, to be close to you, to have fellowship with you, to seek you, so here David he expresses that in this time of difficulty that he's running from Saul, as most you know, biblical interpreters and scholars say when this psalm was written. But then in verse 6, he continues, And now my head shall be lifted above uh, my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So again, he speaks about that I'm going to offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle that tabernacle being that place of fellowship. And because he had confidence in the Lord, his desire was to be with the Lord. But you recall that he said that in Psalm 16, that in your presence is fullness of joy. So how is it that we can have joy? To being in his presence, he's speaking of that, and being in the tabernacle of the Lord where you are, Lord, and, and I have closeness with you, and then I will offer sacrifices of joy in your tabernacle, and I will sing praises to you. We are to be ones that we constantly have a heart that we're worshiping and praising the Lord. It's not that we just come here on Wednesday night or Sunday morning and we sing songs to the Lord and that's it. We're to have an attitude of worship continually before the Lord. And as we are ones that are worshipers, there's going to be joy that is going to be in our lives and in our hearts. And David knew that. I'm going to sing praises to you always, he says. I will sing, yes, praises to the Lord. I pray that as we come into this place, when we gather, you know, I'm thinking that here is David. He values the tabernacle. He, he valued where God was. And as we come into this tabernacle, this sanctuary, we know that the Lord is here, isn't he? Because where two or three are gathered, Jesus said, I will there be in the midst. That we would come with a desire to worship him. You see, what can happen over time if we're not careful as Christians is that we come on Wednesday nights, we come on Sunday mornings, we come at other times, and we think, okay, another Bible study, another worship service, and it can become a little bit routine, right, if we're not careful. And we don't want it to be routine. We want it to come with expectancy and desire. The Lord, I will sing praises to you. I have great opportunity to do that, to, to be with your people, and you're here with us to hear your word and to worship you. And that would bring great joy for us as we do come here. In verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. And do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God, of my salvation. In verse 10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. So David beautifully expresses how God is faithful when he seeks him. And again, you see that, that David, 
his desire is, Lord, you know, um, that I want to seek you. When I heard you say, you know, seek me, I, I said in my heart, Lord, I will seek you. I will seek your face. And may that be our heart because the Lord does say to us that you and I, that we have the opportunity to seek him. Remember Jeremiah when he was writing to the captives that had gone off into captivity into Babylon? And he writes to them this letter that the Lord hasn't forgotten you. That the Lord says, I know my thoughts towards you. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And as you call upon me, I will hear you. And as you seek me, I will be found by you. And we are to seek the Lord. He desires for us to come and seek him, to have fellowship and closeness with him. And that's what David desired. And he says, oh, Lord, you know what? When I heard you say, seek my face, I said, yes, I will do that. And don't hide from me. You know, don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. I pray that you don't forsake me or leave me. And the promise of Jesus to you and to me on this night and every day, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And David writes here, even though my mother and my father may forsake me, you will not forsake me. The Lord, you're going to take care of me is what you're going to do. Isn't that good news? Because there may be others in our lives that forsake us, that all of a sudden don't want anything to do with us. It may be family. It may be friends, co-workers, whoever it might be. It might be even other brothers and sisters in the Lord. You may be even here tonight that someone that you've had the experience where you were forsaken by your mother or your father. We see an alarming rate in our society where particularly we're seeing fathers that are forsaking their children, that are leaving the home. They don't want anything to do with their children. And we're seeing it with mothers as well. And it very much concerns us. And maybe you've gone through an experience like that. And I'm very, very sorry for the hurt that you've gone through. But I want you to know this, that the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. And he loves you and he is with you. And he is your help. And he will be there. And he says, seek me. And you can say, I'm going to seek your face, Lord, because I know that if I call upon you, you'll hear me. And I, that I seek you, that I will be found by you. That's a promise of scripture. So David knew that and he rejoiced in that. And then in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me to a smooth path because of my enemies. And do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breath out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We can lose heart, can't we? I think all of us, if not most of us, that we've been through a season where we lose heart, don't we? We lose heart because we're going through difficult times. We lose heart because maybe we feel like somebody has forsaken us or turned against us. And here he's talking about his adversaries that, that come against him. False witnesses have risen against me and, and the violence against me. And I would have lost heart if I did not believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord. I love that, and I have that underlined it in my Bible. Because I know that if I don't believe that I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord and the faithfulness of the Lord, that he's true to his promises to me, I begin to lose heart in that. And you see, that's what the enemy wants me to believe. He comes along, the accuser of the brethren, and whispers in my ear, the Lord isn't going to help you. You know, he isn't going to work for you. But as we know that God's word declares that he does desire to work for us, but the key is in verse 14 here as we end the psalm, that wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We need to learn, as I mentioned last week, as children of God, to wait on the Lord. It's very important that we do that. We live in a world where we want things to happen instantly, don't we? We want things to happen right away. But in our spiritual life, we need to learn to wait on the Lord, to each and every day going to Him, waiting on Him, knowing that we're going to see the goodness of the Lord, that He's working on our behalf, that He's not going to leave us or forsake us. And as we wait on Him, and as we endure, because he wants to work that perseverance, we're going to talk about it on Sunday as Peter's talking to the Christians. Hey, the weight of the world and the problems of the world are coming down all around you guys. 
And he desires for your faith to grow in endurance and godly virtue to be worked in your life. And it's going to be all summed up in the capstone of a, of a Christian, of his love being worked in our lives. But that takes time. We want it to happen in a week. And the Lord says, I'm going to do it day by day. And you're going to see my goodness, but you wait on me. And as you wait on me and you trust in me and rest in my love, you're going to see that you're going to be strengthened as you are of good courage. So an encouragement here in Psalm 27 of David, he writes, in that time of, of difficulties. And then in chapter 28, another Psalm of David that he writes, To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. So David here, as he knows that God is working in him, God uses difficult times to grow us. And in his silence, we must fall back on his love and his care and his faithfulness. And hear the voice, verse 2, of my supplications when I cry to you. How many times have we heard David say, I cry to you, I cry to you. Hear my prayer, Lord, I cry to you. Man, it's okay to cry to the Lord. And we need to cry to the Lord because he hears our cries. And he says, I cry to you when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. And so David here, is, as he continues to write, he's asking God to hear his cry while he praises God. And, and I don't want to be like the wicked in their deception of heart as he writes in verse 4, give them according to their deeds and according to their wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. So God, you deal with the wicked according to their deeds by the works of their hands. And then in verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people, and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also, and bear them up forever. So here again he begins to praise the Lord. He turns to the Lord in this very painful time, and he is just expressing that, Lord, you're my strength, you're my shield, you're my help. And because of that, my heart rejoices. That personal relationship and fellowship that he has. And we can cry out the same thing. Lord, you are my strength. You've heard the voice of my supplication when I cry out to you. And blessed are you because you are the one that helps me. And my heart can rejoice in that time. And then he turns and he talks about how the Lord is their strength. That is God's people. We as a church, he is our strength. He helps us as a body of believers as we come together and as we call upon him as a church and notice that he uses that word shepherd in verse 9. David used that word oftentimes. The Lord is my shepherd and the Lord is the shepherd of his people. And of course, Jesus said that I'm the good shepherd. Peter calls him the chief shepherd and the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep and Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So here he says that, you know, shepherd your people. And, and what a wonderful shepherd, a good shepherd that we have that is there to tend for us and care for us, to feed us, to guide us, to protect us. That was the, uh, the uh, job of the shepherd. And, and Jesus does all of that for us as expressed here in this psalm. And then Psalm 29, another psalm of David. Now this psalm of David, he speaks of the power and the majesty of God. And we learn from David what our response ought to be. In other words, in these 11 verses here, he uses the phrase, the voice of the Lord, seven times. So let's go through Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so we're to give to the Lord what is due him, that is worship and glory and strength and, and um, you know, he's the one uh, is, that is to be glorified, not us. Matter of fact, Isaiah says, doesn't he, 
that God will not share his glory with any man or any woman. So we worship him according to who he is. The majesty and the holiness of God is what David is expressing. And notice that he says, in the beauty of holiness. Oh, it's so beautiful, your holiness, Lord. In verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And so the voice of the Lord is so powerful that it spoke the universe into existence. The, the, the God of glory thunders. And I just wonder, as David is writing this, that perhaps maybe there was a thunderstorm that was gathering, that as he's writing this, that he's hearing the thunder of the Lord. We saw a little thunderstorm come by, didn't we, before service. So we're getting into that time of the year where uh, we get into severe weather. And sometimes it's so fascinating, isn't it, those of us who like to watch weather, when we see a, a thunderstorm off in the distance and we see the lightning storm at night and just watch it, I can watch it for hours. And as I do and I see the flashes of lightning going across the sky, it just reminds me of the, the power and the majesty of God, doesn't it? It's, it's so incredible. And that's what David, that he's writing about here. And then in verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. I just wonder if he sees lightning hit a tree. You know, and it splinters the tree. There was a, um, a, a, on the news yesterday that there was a thunderstorm that went over Denver, and in the city park, a lightning bolt hit a tree and splintered the tree, and a couple people were hurt because of it. So, you know, it can come on us, and, and we are, you know, live in a part of the country where we can see a lot of lightning, and we need to be careful, and um, we can... Uh, perhaps you've seen it up in the mountains, a lightning bolt hit a tree and just kind of splintered that tree up. I remember when I was, um, right after college, when I was living up in Black Forest, um, and I was living uh, in a little cabin. It was on the high point of Black Forest and uh, up on the hill. And so those thunderstorms would come over, and, man, you had to be careful because you're up high and uh, lightning strikes, and you had to be careful. Well, I remember... You know, this was a long time ago before there was any cell phones or anything. Everybody had a, a landline. And I was talking to mom on the phone, and all of a sudden I heard a thunderstorm coming. And I said, Mom, I need to get off the phone. And I hung up the phone and probably walked from here to the end of the stage, maybe five, ten seconds. And this lightning bolt just hit this tree. Bam! And you know how when it hits close that... There's the thunder and the lightning that happens at the same time, and it actually just kind of knocked me back, and I got up, and there, the tree was on fire. And I went back to the phone, and I picked up the phone, and the phone was hot. It burned the phone up. And I was only about five seconds away from that, you know, lightning bolt. And, and I remember thinking, wow, so, you know, all of a sudden it rained and it put out the fire. But the power of a lightning bolt, we need to be so careful. I used to, when I was in college, uh, too, and I was going to school at CSU in forestry and natural resource management, and I was working for the government, and um, I was on top of a mountain there in Utah, right where Wyoming and Colorado and Utah meet, and there was a tower up there. And the antenna on the truck, there's a little, you know, uh, lightning, you know, bolts were going up the antenna, going zzzz, and kind of fading out. And I was thinking, what is going on? There's big black clouds coming over. Zzzz, and I look at the hair on my arm sticking straight up. And I start up the truck, and I take off, and this lightning bolt said, crack, just right by where I was. So I kind of have a joke. Uh, I track lightning for some reason. I don't know what it is. But here David is, says, you know, the majesty of God. And when you see that, you know, it's just a little sample of the power and the majesty of God. He created all that. God is infinitely much more powerful. It was in the book of Exodus that Moses brought the people of Israel to the mountain of God. And God said, Moses, tell the people to get ready. They're going to meet with me. And it would be the mountain of God that shook and it was on fire. And, and there was thunders and lightnings, and it was probably divine thunders and lightnings. And the voice of God roared, and the people heard it, and they were frightened. They were terrified. They said, Moses, you go up on the mountain. The majesty of God. He worked all those plagues. He opened the Red Sea. He brought the plagues upon Egypt, and they came to the mountain, and it shook. The awesome power of God. 
the glory of God. And David is writing about all this. We know that it was the disciples that were in that boat on the, the Sea of Galilee, and a storm came up, and, and several of those disciples grew up on that lake. They were fishermen. They were used to storms, but this storm was different. And they were terrified, and they woke up Jesus, and, and they said, don't you care that we're perished? We're, we're taking water. We're going to go under. And Jesus stood up and said, oh, you have a little faith. And he rebuked the storm. He said, be muzzled. And all of a sudden, it was calm. And they were astonished that, that who is this one that can, you know, the winds and the seas obey him. I used to read that story, and I thought there in Mark chapter 4, why would the Lord rebuke the disciples? Because I know for me, I would have been the one shaking Jesus and saying, wake up, don't you care? You know, we're going to go under. You have little faith. And the reason that he say, said that is because when they first got into the boat, he said, we're going to go to the other side. He didn't say we're going to go under. He didn't say we're going to sink. He said, let's get in this boat. We're going to go to the other side. And they needed to learn that the Lord was with them even when the seas were warring all around them and the storms was right on top of them and the lightning was cracking and he would calm that storm. And I imagine the clouds just kind of broke and all of a sudden they could see the stars. Maybe you're in a storm tonight. And maybe you feel like you're going under. And the Lord says this to you, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. Will you be comforted by that? That the work that he has begun in you, that he's going to bring it to completion. In other words, you're going to get to the other side. And he's going to see you through. And he's not going to leave you or forsake you. And David understood that. And he's just expressing his praise to the Lord. And as we understand that, you see why we can praise the Lord even in the difficult times just as David did? So he's expressing that. And, and then in, in verse uh, 6, he makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Sarain like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and it strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people and the Lord will bless his people with peace. So David, he turns uh, again, as he is just praising the Lord, the voice of the Lord over creation, and, and he expresses the majesty of the Lord and just gives praise to the Lord during this time. And then in Psalm 30, this psalm was written when David perhaps, some say that when he brought maybe the Ark um, of the Covenant back to the city of David from Kirjath-Jerim, again, the reference is 2 Samuel chapter 6, but others think that perhaps he wrote this at the time where you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 24 that David counted the people. He wanted to count the people, and it was Joab that said, you want to count the people? Yes, I'm going to count the people. And Joab said, don't count the people. And David did it anyway. And God was displeased with David, and he brought a plague upon the land. And David went to the threshing floor of Ornan there on Mount Moriah, and he bought the threshing floor, and he gave sacrifices as the Lord told him to, as the Lord then accepted those sacrifices and then would bring you know, an end to the plagues and healing to the land. I think it was written during that time. And we don't have time to go into it, you know, to set the scene, but many of you are familiar with the story. And see, David here... As we read, we're going to give indication of that as we go through it. Let's begin to read in Psalm chapter 30, a song, uh, the dedication of the house of David. Um, again, that threshing floor was going to be the place where the temple was going to be built because the Lord would accept those sacrifices that David gave. So that's where the Holy of Holies was going to be. Solomon built his temple. But in this, we read that David writes, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. 
Oh, Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Oh, Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave, and you kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. So here, David once again gives thanks for, number one, his victory over his enemies, and then second of all, that healing that he asked for. And I think that as you read 2 Samuel chapter 24, that it was more than just a physical healing. It was an emotional healing, a mental healing that David, he was in such deep distress that he lost all of his strength. It seemed so hopeless. The Lord is the one, listen, that brings healing, not only physical healing, but emotional healing. And maybe some of you are really hurting emotionally because of some tragic thing that you've gone through in life or some deep hurt that you've experienced. He can bring, you know, healing to you mentally. He's the one that can bring that comfort to you. And he is the one that you go to in those times as David cries out to the Lord in that time. It was a very difficult time for him. And then thirdly, he's given thanks to the Lord that God didn't let him go down to the pit and it refers, you know, it's a reference that is to Sheol, that I didn't die during this time. And then in, in verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor for a life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. When David writes, his anger is but for a moment, he's speaking of the chastening of the Lord. In other words, his chastening is but for a moment, but I want you to remember this. Don't forget it. That his favor for you is for a life. His chastening is but for a moment. And why does he chasten you and me? You know the answer. The book of Hebrews tells us he chastens those whom he loves. And he loves you and me. So he'll bring chastening to us, and his chastening may be for a moment, but his favor is for a life. So David is motivated to praise God as he expresses that, you know, God's anger is going to be turned to God's favor. A night of weeping is going to be turned to joy. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, God's mercies are new every morning. And you remember that it was Jesus that said to his disciples on that night that he was betrayed, as they had sorrow in their hearts, Jesus talking about he, he's going to die. And he says, listen, your sorrow is going to be turned into joy, which it was on that first day of the week, three days after he died on that cross, on that resurrection Sunday. And we can rejoice and have joy because he brings us new beginnings as a new creation in Christ. That's so wonderful, isn't it? And we're forgiven. And we have joy because we have the favor of God in our lives. So David is just expressing it during this difficult time. But then in verse 6, and he writes, Now in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong. You hide your face and I was troubled. So David, he wrote this during the time. He said, in his prosperity I shall not be moved. And I think that fits more in what 2 Samuel chapter 24 is telling us. David numbered the people. What was so bad about that? I mean, David counted the number of guys that was in his army. And they went throughout the land. This is what the problem was. David, you recall that he had already written in a psalm that some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. But we shall remember the name of the Lord our God. And when he numbered the people, he was full of pride. He said, in my prosperity, I've defeated my enemies. I defeated the nations around me. And I want to see how strong I am by counting my soldiers, how many people. My strength is in me. I shall not be moved. And he was taking the glory away from the Lord. I will not share my glory with any man. And he had stopped glorifying the Lord at that moment and putting his trust in the Lord. He was putting his trust in his army. Listen, a very important lesson for us. May we never come to that point of, in my prosperity, in my intelligence, in my togetherness, in my gifting, in my togetherness, whatever it might be, I shall not be moved. We individually, your family, this church, our strength is in the Lord alone. 
To him be the glory. Our strength is not in our own abilities and our own might and our own togetherness. Our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength is not in this church in how many people come, how much, you know, uh, ministry takes place in, uh, you know, buildings and budgets and staff, all that. It is in him alone. And he gets the glory alone. May we always remember that. I like to drive other pastors crazy. They'll say, how many people do you have? I say, I don't know. I don't know. Well, how many membership? We don't have a membership. They belong to the body of Christ. They're a member. If they come here, they're part of the church. It just drives them crazy. They want to know how many people, how many buses you have. How big is your building? I don't know. You're at three services, yeah. But our strength is in the Lord. And our strength will always be in the Lord. And may we never forget that. And it's true with your family and it's true with us personally. And may we give him the glory alone. So David forgot about that. And he goes on, and as he's writing, he says that in verse 8, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end of my glory, may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So we see here that David kept crying out to the Lord. Lord, don't let me die. Can I praise you in the pit, the dust of the grave? He was uncertain. And he pleaded with God to deliver him. Lord, you be my helper. And then he turns and he recognizes that, Lord, you have worked for me, and you have turned, I have turned to you in chastening, and, Lord, you've worked it for good. You've turned my mourning into dancing. You've put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Here's a principle in the truth that we see here in the Scriptures, that you and I are to turn to God in his chastening. Sometimes we think, that his chastening is going to push us away from the Lord. No, it's not. Remember this, the chastening and the conviction of the Lord is to bring you to him. It's the condemnation of the enemy that is to push you away from him. Always remember that. How do you know the chastening of the Lord and the condemnation of the enemy, who's the accuser of the brethren? The condemnation is to push you away from the Lord. The Lord doesn't love you. He's not going to forgive you. He's done with you. You're a spiritual waste. Why even go to him? Why even call out to him? The chastening of the Lord, the conviction of the Lord is always to bring you to him and listen as you turn to God in chastening. You know what the result's going to be? Gladness. It's going to be gladness. And may we not ever forget that. Seven times in the psalm, David wrote, Thou hast, or you have. And David was praising the Lord from the depths of his heart. Why? Because weeping may endure for a night, but his joy cometh in the morning. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these psalms that are written to us, to encourage us, to help us to know that we can call out to you and cry out to you in our time of need, in our time of difficulty, in our time of sorrow, in our time of weakness. And, Lord, that we can have confidence in you even in the times of, of chastening, that we can look to you to draw us to yourself and to be our helper, knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. And Father, tonight as, as we talk about the goodness of the Lord and your faithfulness, your love for us, you demonstrate it your love by sending your son to die for us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he proved and demonstrated his love in going to that cross to die for us specifically and individually. So I pray if there's anyone here, I know there's people in a coffee shop, in the sanctuary, listening, live stream. If anyone, you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
It is salvation that comes and forgiveness of sin by putting your faith and trust in him alone, not in yourself, not in a church. It's in Jesus alone who died for you and loves you. He did the work. As he cried out, it is finished from the cross. And as you believe that, that he died for you, as with you confess your, with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He is your salvation, just as David understood that. He is my salvation. He wants to save you if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Come to him in faith, asking for forgiveness and for him to be your personal Lord and Savior. He is your salvation. There's none other. There's no another. Only Jesus died for you. Only Jesus rose from the grave and conquered sin and death. And he said, I am the way to the Father. Not a way, but the way. And he loves you. And he wants to make you a new creation. He wants to do a new work in you. He wants to fill you with his love, with his, the Holy Spirit to enable you to live a life for him. But you call out to him for salvation. And if that means anything to anyone here tonight, you pray, Jesus, I come to you right now and I ask that you would forgive me a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again from the grave and you're alive because you're speaking to my heart and I want you to sit upon the throne of my life and my heart. I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior and thank you for loving me and thank you for dying for me and help me to live for you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And if anyone prayed that prayer, I want you to come up and pray with me after the service is over. I want to encourage you. If you're listening on live stream, call me. Let me know the decision that you made. Let us, let us pray for you and encourage you. But not only can we call out to you for salvation, but in all circumstances that we face, knowing that you're the one that says to seek you and to come to you and to trust in you and to wait on you. And may we do that, Lord. I pray you bless your people, encourage us and strengthen us whatever circumstances or situation that we're facing, knowing that you're going to see us through and you're going to get us to the other side because being confident is this very thing that he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. So I thank you for your love and your faithfulness and your goodness, Lord. And we praise you always for that. Bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you please stand? I'll be here to pray with anybody that needs prayer for...